0: Hello and welcome to Presenting, a podcast where we chat about various topics related to role-playing games, typically Paizo products such as Pathfinder and Starfinder, but also others. I'm John Godick, and with me today is Michelle Jones. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I think this is the first time we've ever talked in ever. I think this is uh, uh, really cool.
1: Yeah, I, um, you know, it's very nice to uh, get to actually talk to someone who you sort of shared a space with, but mm-hmm. not really mm-hmm. interacted with.
0: Yeah, it's like on, in the online world, you know, we do a lot of stuff on Discord and saying messages and doing things. But that, that's one of the cool things, I guess, about podcasting is you get a chance to talk to people in person. And then in this case, you know, we're also recording video. We get to see each other in person as well. So it's kind of neat. So. All right, so Michelle is a freelance writer and game designer. Over the years, she's created material for Pathfinder 1st Edition and 2nd Edition, Thirsty Sword Lesbians, and more. Michelle is currently working on an RPG book of her own while shining a spotlight on other Black creators in the tabletop RPG space. And also last fall, Michelle joined us on the No Direction Network. So um, it's great to have you on board here. Um, So, Michelle, one of the questions I ask uh, all the freelance uh, writers is, Can you tell us about your journey to becoming a freelancer, both as a writer and as a game designer? Yeah, so I can say um, it is not really
1: something that I originally aimed to do. It's not something I thought could be an option. Like I knew obviously people had to be writing these games, but it wasn't a career Mm -hmm. path that I had. But just by like being around other game designers on social media and like uh, chatting with them, you know and as a player talking about my experience with RPGs uh one day someone just sort of approached me and was like hey do you want to write uh for this uh, do you want to write for Pathfinder and I was like yeah that sounds great let's do it and so i the first thing i ever wrote it was just like a monster for the back of an adventure path which is you know that's mm-hmm. how a lot of people get started right and then from there i did stuff on like the player companion line and it just sort of like went from there as i just realize how much I enjoy this and how much it could actually, you know,
0: be a goal for me to have. Now, now you mentioned somebody just walked up to you and said, hey, do you want to write? I I mean, this wasn't like on the street and you're walking, you know, through, uh, you know, downtown or something. This is at a specific place, probably. This is on Tumblr. Um, uh, On Tumblr, really? Yeah, this is like through social media. wow. Wow. That is that is a truly kind of unique thing. I had I've talked to a lot of people, and I that's the first time I've heard somebody say that they just contacted them because of what they were doing on social media uh, in a in a space like Tumblr. Now, was this in a in a particular um, subject area that you were kind of talking about, or uh, so? If anyone follows me on social media, you'll know
1: I'm very opinionated and I'm very <laughs> loud about it, um, mm-hmm. and so. Um, As a player, I would just consistently talk about, like, my experiences with Pathfinder and what I thought about it and how it could, Mm -hmm. like, things that could be different, things that could be cooler, opportunities that are sort of missed and I would like to see explored more. And um, just through, like, having those conversations, um, you know, just caught some folks' attention and they liked the things that I was saying. So, you know, from there, they were just like, yeah, it would be great to, you know, have another voice in here and a diverse voice, you know, being Mm -hmm. a black woman Mm -hmm. and having something that uh, a perspective that maybe not everyone working on the game has. And so, you know, I really it was just like an amazing opportunity and just one of those things of being in the right place, right time. And yeah, it's just just one of those like bolt from the blue moments that just changes
0: the trajectory of your life. Yeah. Oh, that's that's awesome to hear. You know, you know, as we're recording today, this is actually Black History Month in the United States. It's kind of the tail end of it. Can you talk about the work that you've done to spotlight Black creators in the tabletop RPG space? I don't have the biggest social media following. So I'm not like,
1: you know, when I, I do my best to like connect people and like amplify people, uh, a lot of it is um, through like just getting people into like the right networks. Sort of community I'm a part of is a Utopia community, which is a like all POC game design and actual I guess network. I I want to call it a network, but that kind of feels like smaller than what it is because it is it's providing resources and networking and like a platform. And so like getting more people involved with them and then from there getting people who are involved with that out into other spaces I just trying to be like sort of a hub to get people in the spaces where they can do the best that they can do
0: is uh, my goal you know I was talking to uh, Param about your your role on no direction and that's one of the things he mentioned is, that's something that the network really felt like it was missing is some more diverse voices. There's just kind of a handful of people of color uh, on the network, and I think that's one of the things they wanted to to branch out on, but also to make sure that they were getting things right in terms of when they were talking about various topics and things. And so how do you see your role on the network? You know, I don't really know
1: what word I would put on it. I guess I am a... Um you know consultant advisor wh- however mm-hmm. you want to describe it but I, my role is mainly just to you know give feedback and like sort of you know be the loud opinionated voice in the mm-hmm. room who says like i think this thing would be really cool i've been talking with uh param actually about like doing a black history month uh f- you know more focus on that and like having um talking to like black rpg writers and getting the spotlight Mm -hmm. on them through no direction you know i'm hoping it can be a more regular thing a more consistent thing but i felt like this would be a good time to sort of like broach the topic and be like how are we you know uh sort of pushing in that direction because it's very good to have like you know like on a network like this it's great to have black writers and have like black contributors who are like putting out articles like nate makes Mm -hmm. like writes great articles but it's also like there's so many other people who are not a part of this network doing really cool things mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know using this platform to be like these are all the great things that they're doing you know I'm not going to get too far too into it now cuz I'm going to I'm still working on that but yeah just like I want to just do that work of um that person's doing something really amazing I want more people to see it this person is like trying to create something, they need resources, I want to get them to those resources. And I want to sort of help to make this a space that can accommodate that. Very cool.
0: So how do you, how, in your view, how are things progressing for Black creators and other people of color in the RPG space, both creating, and, and I'll say even playing, because you know, as, as a person of color myself, going to major game conventions, it is... Not a diverse environment when you look at the playing playing tables and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of those things where, like, the better it gets, the worse it gets. Because mm. every time, like, we make some kind of stride forward, there are, like, very angry vocal people who are trying mm. to push back. And so now it's a really, like continuous time where it's like more people are listening to black creators. There are more like black actual play performers who are doing like shows and there are more black game designers who are creating games and, you know, like more black fans who are getting into games as like role playing games become sort of more yeah. mainstream. But like the more we enter the spaces, the more the, the louder the people who don't want us there get and so we're sort of in that moment where things are improving and the people who don't want them to improve are getting the loudest. And so, mm-hmm. you know, this is why it is like it's 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 one of those turning point moments where you do we you have to keep pushing because otherwise, like the, as soon as you stop pushing the ball
0: rolls like the stone rolls back down the hill. Mm hmm. So what do you think needs to be done better either by the companies or by the community to help keep that ball rolling and eventually get at the top where it can gain its own momentum? That is a big question because there's a lot that people can
1: do. Number one is just like be a good ally. Um, And I have a very specific definition of ally. My definition Mm -hmm. of ally is someone who would take a bullet for me. So Mm -hmm. like, The number one thing that you can do is like be that human shield and like block that vitriol before it gets to us. And, you know, Mm -hmm. luckily, I have a very good support network of people who are willing to do that. And, you know, and number two is amplify the voices of black creators. And like rather than like jumping into the debate, which I know a lot is what a lot of people want to do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes sometimes it's helpful. What's more important is to make sure that the, you know, black creators who are already saying these things, that their voices are being amplified and reaching the most people. And so that way, you know, our own voices can drown out, you know, the more toxic people we, rather than just adding more voices to the noise. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned, you know, what you consider an ally. Can you give examples of somebody who's, Trying to be an ally, but not going about doing it the right way. So, there's a couple of examples. I think
1: one of the number one things that well meaning people do that is unhelpful is get into debates. Uh, to clarify, sort of, especially on social media, what will often happen is someone will say something bigoted or rude or just wrong. And The more you talk to that person, the more chances you're giving them to respond. Mm -hmm. And like, even if you are shutting down every single thing that they say, you're still giving them more chances to say wrong things. And just the Mm -hmm. way that social media works, the more they talk, the more people their voice reaches, no matter how well you know spoken your rebuttals are. Mm -hmm. And the other reason is it's impossible to debate a bigot because they don't care about being correct. Like Mm -hmm. you as a well-meaning person, you have the burden of saying true and factual things and they don't. So Mm -hmm. they will just make up anything. They'll move any goalposts. They will say anything if it, if it feels like it's going to get them a point. So the best thing you can do is block them if you really need to, maybe like subtweet, but like the best thing you can do is just shut them down and not let anyone hear what they're saying.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think a lot of folks have this misconception that freedom of speech means everybody should be able to be heard. And the fact of the matter is there are some voices that don't need to be heard, don't deserve to be heard uh, in terms of not bringing something to the table worth listening to. You know, absolutely um and and that's and the folks that you're talking about in terms of the folks that are are being racist and very bigoted about things they're of the camp that they should be able to do whatever they want because that's their right and on the same uh, in the same breath though they they still don't expect to have to face the consequences of what they're saying too and they feel like when they're canceled when they're shut down when their things are closed off that wait a second that's not fair well no that's just the consequence of you saying something so stupid that it doesn't make any sense. You have to live with that as well.
1: Yeah, freedom of speech means the government can't shut you down. Right. We yes. can shut you down. Yes. You yes. don't. You don't have constitutional protection from getting blocked on Twitter.
0: Yes. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. All right. So um, your work with Paizo includes writing "Hurricanes Howl" for Strength of Thousands Adventure Path. Can you talk a little bit about the adventure that you wrote, including kind of the importance of having Black authors working on this adventure, which is taking place in Paizo's version of Africa? Yeah, I would love to.
1: Without spoiling anything, um, book three of Hurricane's Hell or book three of Strength of Thousands is after the students have gone through their adventures as, um, you know, like initiates of the Magambia. They have graduated and become teachers. It's not a spoiler. That's in the book description. So the uh, book three starts with exploring these like newfound freedoms and newfound responsibilities, because now you have students that you have to take care of, that you have to keep safe. And, you know, as teachers of the Magambia, you're you're not just responsible for the school. You're responsible for being a steward of the world. Mm. And so. This is sort of the first time where you take those principles that have been instilled in you by your instructors, and you are put in a position where you have to live up to those principles. You know, hurricanes how they're to um, the eye of a bendigo that's the that never stops. It's just this giant storm that has been like going for raging for centuries. So you end up going and um, interacting with some of the communities who are sort of in like on the edge of that storm and sort of seeing what those communities are like. There is like a gazetteer in the back of the book about uh, one of the cities that you spend a decent amount of time in. It's very fun because it highlights sort of a different lifestyle from what you would normally see. Cause I think in fantasy adventures, you kind of have one of two things. You have these little pastoral settlements and you have Mm -hmm. these big metropolitan cities and, you know, they have their like, their fantasy flavor but they are still like based on something real i it was very fun to sort of flesh out this community that is um in a very fantasy place like you are living next to a hurricane that never stops and it's (laughs) raining forever and you have to live with that and like i i got to explore a lot of very fun cool stuff i got to you know Weave in a lot of very fun characters who I like. The NPCs in that book, I am I'm very proud of them, and I hope people like them. But as far as uh, the importance of like having Black writers create it, I think most obviously it is set in uh, an African setting. It is like African um, inspired, and so having people who have you know some connection to that is going to lend it some authenticity. But I think more than that, it is just like giving people the opportunity to sort of tell their own stories is very important. And I think that's what's lacking in a lot of sort of diverse quote unquote media. There is a lot of sort of shallow representation where you have like these like Asian inspired characters, but they're written by white people and they're voiced by white people. And so Mm -hmm. it still ends up telling very white stories just with like an Asian facade. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the same as when you have like, you know, African inspired or um, like South American inspired. If it's being created by all white people, all white writers, all right, all, all white actors what have you it still is a white story because that's who creates it and that's who has ownership of it and i think giving ownership of stories to the people who um inspire them or the people who they come from is very important uh just you
0: know in general Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now i interviewed um Connor Alexander, who uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him, he was the, is the publisher of Coyote and Crow. It's an indigenous kind of inspired um, future game, kind of basically an uncolonized future. And he's taken on Bretton all uh, to bring all in, uh, native peoples for writers and artists. And one of the things he said to me in the interview, and, and I want to kind of get your perspective on this, is that a lot of folks in the gaming industry are looking to get like a consultant to give a read through like a sensitivity consultant after they write it so rather than bringing in native peoples or black writers or whoever to to work on things they're bringing a a sensitivity consultant or some other name like that just to make sure that they're not making any major faux pas and he thought that was the wrong way to go about doing things um, rather than giving the 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 folks the, the voices themselves and i'm Curious to see what your take is on that.
1: Um, Well, first off, love Coyote and Crow. Amazing game. It's beautiful. I have a lot to say about um, the way sensitivity consultants are sort of used in the Mm -hmm. gaming industry and at large because... What often happens is someone will like pour all of this time and effort and like resources into creating something. And then after it's been made, what they really want is for someone to come in and like be like, oh, well, you can't use this word and you have to change this thing. But otherwise, you're you're doing great. You're doing good. They mm. want validation and they want permission
0: Right. Right.
1: What none of them is ever prepared for is for a sensitivity consultant to come in and say, you got everything wrong and there's nothing good here and you can't use this. And often that is what happens behind the scenes. But like if you had had that person there from the very beginning and rather than like have if you just had that person as a writer from the start, you wouldn't have put yourself in that position. I think it is it's sort of it's hubris uh, to be Mm. like, yeah, no, I can definitely with Wikipedia and Google figure out enough that I'll get close. And then at the end, I'll just have someone from that culture just like clean it up a little like that is like the um, that is absolutely arrogance. And I think sensitivity consultants are amazing. They are wonderful. When they are utilized properly, if you just want someone to be your yes man, that's not what a sensitivity consultant is for, and that is where so many of these games fail to like actually create healthy representation and diversity.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it, it it's not even a band aid; it's just more like PR. You think? Then it it really is. I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well. What advice do you have for people interested in becoming an RPG freelance writer or game designer, especially people of color? It is it's going to depend on what you want to do and
1: how you want to do it. If all you want is to make your own game, just start, just write it. It might be bad and it might take you a while to finish it, but just whatever you can throw together, throw it together, put it out there. And then when you put it out there and people see it and see your name, then they'll want to get you on more things. If you just write a one-page RPG and throw it up online and talk about it and get people to see it, it doesn't matter if that game is good. It just shows people that you are in it and trying to do something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. If your goal is to work for a company that is harder to sort of tell you what to do because it's going to depend on a lot of factors but networking you the most important thing for you to do is to get into the right room with the right person and it doesn't matter if it's a discord server a virtual table whatever get someone to get you in a room with that person and then get that person to like you that is all networking is And it sounds very daunting and intimidating, and especially if you're not a super social person, but really just make friends and be nice to people. And eventually, someone is going to put you on the right path if you
0: can do that. Now, you mentioned um, getting you into that room. Do you mean that literally or also kind of figuratively with social media?
1: Uh, I mean, social media is great if you have like a popular tweet or like if you are like, um you know, if you can like put something online and gets you attention, that is great. But the issue is that social media is good for attention. It's not good for connections, which I know I just said the opposite like 15 minutes ago. And like, if you can start a conversation on Twitter, that's great. But what you really want is you want the opportunity to have one person who is just paying attention to you or more than one person. You want people's focus to just be on you and not mm. on like
0: their entire Twitter timeline. What's next for Michelle? What kind of cool things are you working on that you can actually talk about? You have this, um, this book that you're working on. Is that something you can describe a little more? Um, yeah, I am trying to, I'm currently
1: working on writing an RPG and I, am not going to go into too much detail about it because a lot of it is still sort of, uh, in flux. Um, mm-hmm. but it's one of those things where I just had an idea one day, um, and it was a very silly idea, but enough people encouraged me that I ended up doing it. Uh, I'm currently writing a game. I'm calling it girlfriend of the week, which is, uh, I've described it as a, a surrealist horror rom-com. I I love television, I love movies, I love media, but I love to dissect media and sort mm-hmm. of like like I love I love to take a show and treat it like an old VCR and take it apart and see how it works. And I think one trope that is very common in TV and it doesn't matter what genre it is or like what medium it is, it happens all over the place is that you will in a like serial show in one episode you will meet a love interest and that Mm -hmm. love interest will have an entire character arc. And then at the end of that episode, the love interest is gone and no one ever mentions her again and no one ever acknowledges that she existed. And I want to explore that as like, what if you did live in a world where a woman showed up and became your girlfriend, and turned your life upside down, and then she disappeared, and no one acknowledged that it happened. Uh,
0: and, and, and that's going to be the RPG that you are writing. Yes. Okay. Wow. Wow. That um, has a lot of things to unpack. I am sure. So.
1: <laughs> it is a lot to unpack, yeah. and that is that's why I want to make it a game because I want I I want people to have that experience of like mm-hmm.
0: dissecting things the way that right. I dissect them. Right. Understand and see what works. Yeah. My mind kind of works in a similar way when I'm trying to figure things out. I'm always wondering why they chose to show certain things in the media, whatever it is, do things a certain way, build a story a certain way. Um, I haven't thought of that particular situation, though I can see it happening over and over again. So I know it does. It just isn't something that I've, I've dwelled upon. Um, so, how can people reach out to you if they're interested in learning more about you? What's your social media contacts? Uh, so I am
1: on Twitter at Alesha Kills. That is A-L-E-S-H-A-K-I-L-L-S. That's where you can see me yelling about RPGs and art and
0: politics. All right. Excellent. Well, Michelle, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you for having me on.